We remain standing for Abel, and we're going for one last time read together Ephesians 6, starting at verse 17 through verse 20. Ephesians 6, starting at verse 17 through verse 20. And as you get there, just a, a, an announcement I forgot during Sunday school is that uh, Elder Holland is going to be teaching the adult class next week. And uh, it, it, the rumor is that if you read the book of Ruth this week, you're going to be in really good uh, standing to profit the most from the Sunday school class next Lord's Day. Ephesians 6, starting verse 17, this is the word of our Lord. <clears throat> And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it... I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father, we pray that you speak to us through your word. We pray, Father, that uh, as the messenger of that word, that you enable me to speak what is truth and then to stand out of the way of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We have almost the uh, whole armor of God on, uh, so to speak, as we go through this series on the Ephesian church. We are almost ready to stand to all the schemes of uh, Satan as we study this passage. There is only one thing left to put on. Last Sunday I said that uh, uh, the, 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 in the whole armor of God, it only includes one offensive weapon. But as we examine this passage, and as I was studying this passage this week, we realize that there is actually a second offensive weapon that's given to us, another second offensive weapon to be used against Satan in the standing that God calls us to stand, and that is prayer. Prayer is also an offensive weapon. Prayer, real prayer, is the ultimate act of faith. Uh, where we really know our faith, where people really know what we believe is when we are on our knees in prayer. And we, we talk about praying, we, we say that we're going to pray for one another, but it is in the doing of it that we stand and fight Satan. Praying goes along with all the other items. Now, if you look at uh, verse 18... We have the word praying always, and that word praying is modifying all the other commands, all the other verbs in this passage. So prayer, praying goes along with each of the items that were already looked. It is what keeps the armor together. That's what makes it effective. It is the oil that lubricates the armor that allows us to fight Satan. It is another offensive weapon that will resist an attack and take away from Satan. It is the power of the strong man that ransacks the uh, the house of Satan and uh, destroys his kingdom. Matthew Henry commentary says this regarding this passage. He says, We must join prayer with all these graces for our defense against these spiritual enemies, imploring help and assistance of God as the case requires. 
We must pray always, Matthew Henry says, not as though we were to do nothing else but pray, for there are other duties of religion and of our respective stations in the world that are to be done in their place and season. But we should keep up constant times of prayer and be constant in them. We must pray upon all occasions, he says, and as often as our own and others' necessities calls to it. And that's what we do. As Christians, we pray. Praying to the Christian is as breathing to the human. You don't do it and you die. It's as simple as that. What I want to see two things in this passage today. I want to see the manner of prayer that Paul gives us, and then the content of that prayer. And then we're going to look at two uh, prayers in the Bible as models for us to follow as we pray. Look at verse 18. In verse 18, we find the manner that Paul wants the Ephesians to pray. It says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So the first thing about manner is that we are to pray always. There's never a time when prayer is not called for. There's never a time when you think, you know what, I can just do this on my own. I don't need to pray about. And there's never a subject for which prayer is not needed. There's no subject small or great for which prayer is not needed. So we are always praying. We're in constant prayer. We're in the state of being ready to pray always. And then he says, we pray with all prayer and supplication. Praying with all prayer and supplication. The word prayer is the inclusive word for prayer. It includes praises, laments, confessions, petitions. And as we pray, all these things are included in what we're doing. And then he says that we have to pray with all prayer and supplication. Supplication is the asking part. Is the asking for what is lacking. It is a response of faith. We are going only to bring supplications before God if we believe that He can answer them, that He can answer our requests. So there is a response of faith to God, knowing that God is the supplier of all things. It is a response of humility as well. When we bring our requests to God, when we make them known to Him, when we bring our supplications to God, we are showing humility, knowing that on our own we can't get what we need. Now, the uh, famous theologians known as the Rolling Stones used to sing, you can't always get what you want. Well, the Bible says you can never get what you need unless you bring those requests before God in prayer. As Paul says to the Philippians in Philippians 1 verse 4, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. And that's the manner of prayer. We pray with all prayer and supplications. And we do that, verse 18 tells us, in the Spirit. Prayer, real prayer, is the activity of the one who has been regenerated. Only the Christian, only the one that has been born again and come to faith in Jesus Christ can actually pray a prayer that the Lord will hear. The Lord is not going to hear the prayer of the unbeliever. He only listens, he hears and when I mean here, I don't mean that he's not aware of them, but he only hears with uh, care and concern to those who are in Jesus Christ. Jude tells uh, the church that he writes to in verse 20, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, 
praying in the Holy Spirit. And that's how we pray. That's the manner of our prayer. The Holy Spirit, sorry. The Holy Spirit brings our prayers before the Lord. As Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, that the Spirit also helps in our weakness. The, the Holy Spirit is, that, is in communion with our spirit. And as we pray in the Spirit, as we pray through faith in Jesus Christ, that the Spirit dwells in us, He connects us with God, and He brings our prayers before Him. And Paul continues that in verse 18. It says that we are to pray being watchful. We are to pay attention to our prayers. We are to, just to cover the very basic, we are to stay awake in our prayers as we pray before the Lord. It seems often to be the best remedy to insomnia is to pray. It's, it seems like that's a, one of the things that does was. And it makes sense because we're before God and we are comfortable in His presence and our hearts calm down and, and so on. But we are to be watchful in our prayer. We are to pay attention to our prayers. We, that, this idea of being watchful includes the idea of being aware of what's going on in people's lives around us so that we can pray for them. That's what we're doing. We're being watchful. We're watching to see what's going on. It's the word used for a guard upon a tower watching to see if any, any enemy is coming to invade the city. Being watchful in our prayers means paying attention to what's going on around us so we can pray for it. What's going on around in our city, in our state, in our county, in our country, in our world so we can pray for it. So we pray as we fight Satan being watchful. Isn't that what our Lord Jesus encouraged His disciples to do on that night in which He was betrayed? Very, just a few hours before He's crucified, He, he brings His three closest disciples to a, a corner of Gethsemane to pray with Him. And what is it that He tells them? He, said, he tells them, Watch and pray, lest you enter in temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then Paul says that we pray with all Perseverance, and the word all here is a redundant word because perseverance includes all. Right? You, either, you either persevere or you don't. So Paul is emphasizing this aspect of our prayer that we pray with all perseverance. We are to stick to praying. You know, praying and spanking are two things that people quit too early. Uh, 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 as far as, uh, you know, a lot of parents that are having struggled with their kids say, I, I ask them, have you spanked them? And say, oh yeah, but it didn't work. Well, you didn't try long enough. Uh, God says it works. God says prayer works as well. So we persevere in all praying. Uh, the, the Lord Jesus Christ himself often gives uh, illustrations of that. He says, look, if an evil judge, if you keep on knocking on his door, he is going to answer what you have to tell him. How about your Father in heaven who loves you? If you keep on knocking on his door, do you think he's going to listen to you? Or if a friend comes in the middle of the night and knocks on your door, or, or, or you knock on a friend's door, and the friend comes out and gives you bread, just because he, at the very least just because he wants you to stop bothering him, how much your Father in heaven who loves you if you're in constant prayer before him. So we pray with all perseverance. That's the manner in which Paul tells us to pray in verse 18. And then he finishes verse 18 by saying that we are to pray for all saints. We are to make requests for the brethren. And in order to do that, we need to know the brethren. We need to know the people who we are committed to in Jesus Christ. 
We are to know the people that we worship Christ with. And we are to pray for them. We are to bring them before the throne of grace. As the Puritans used to say, we are to storm the mercy seat and bring the names of all the saints before our God. We are to wrestle with God and say, I'm not going to leave you to you. Bless all the saints that I'm bringing before you. Uh, Emily's grandmother, Kitty Sending, some of you met her, but she and her husband lived in the basement of Emily's uh, father's house where Emily grew up. And every Sunday, they would take the church directory out after lunch and would pray by name for everybody in the church directory of this church, of the Tacoma church, any other, any other church, they could, they could get the directory in their hands. What were, what were they doing? They were praying for all the saints. People of God, do you love Christ and his people enough to pray for them? That's the manner of prayer. In verses 19 and 20, Paul gives us the content of the prayer that he wants us to pray. Now, this is not exhaustive. These are not the only things that Paul or the Spirit wants us to pray for. But in this particular verse, that's what we are considering today. Look at verse 19. And for me, that utter utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul says this, you pray for the vocation of the saints. You pray for the vocation of the saints. That is, you pray for what the saints are called to do. How am I getting that from this verse? Well, Paul asks the Ephesians to pray that he would be able to fulfill his calling of proclaiming the gospel. Pray for me that I might do what God has called me to do in proclaiming the gospel. So he is asking the Ephesians to pray for his vocation, for his calling. And we are to pray that God would give us and the brethren, not just us, but the brethren as well, the saints, grace and strength to fulfill God's calling in our lives. We are to pray that we are able to fulfill our vocation, our calling in our role in the family in our role in the church, in our role in the state, in our role in employment. And we are to look at life not as things that we have to do next, but as callings from God. What is it that God is calling you to do right now? Well, it is whatever you're doing right now. If you're a student, that's your vocation. If you're a homeschool teacher, that's your vocation. If you're a wife, that's your vocation. If you're a husband, that's your vocation. Whatever it is, that's what God is calling you to do. So we pray for one another that God is going to enable us to do the things that He calls us to do, our vocation. And notice that the specific thing that Paul asks is that the Ephesians pray for boldness for him to continue proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ while he's in prison. He says that in verse 20 where he says he's in chains there. So, people of God, we must pray for one another. Not necessarily that we would be bold to preach the gospel in prison, though, that too, if that's what the Lord calls us to do. I remember, uh, I don't remember last year during the uh, controversy at Grace Community Church, John MacArthur's church in L.A. area, where uh, the local county was threatening him with jail time. His response to them was, 
I've always wanted to start a jail ministry. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's what Paul is saying here. Hey, I have this great opportunity. We have these people chained for me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Pray that I'll have boldness to proclaim the gospel to them in this, uh, in, uh, during this time. And Philippians was written just a few months, perhaps after Ephesians, we have a, a praise report there where Paul says that the guard, the Praetorian guard, there will be the special forces of the Roman army that were taking care of him, have now come to know Christ as their Savior because Paul, indeed, God, better said, enabled Paul to fulfill his vocation to preach the gospel in chains, a vocation that he was able to fulfill because people like you, like me, were praying for him that God would give him the grace to do that. So we pray for boldness. We pray that we, that uh, all of us will be able to fulfill our vocations. And for boldness, that in fulfilling our vocations, we can proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'd have, we pray, pray that we would have boldness to proclaim the gospel in every kind of situation. The easy ones and the hard ones. I don't know if you, paid, uh, you noticed last week, uh, when we're baptizing Samuel, and I think it was last week, things so many things happened. In the dark, so uh, one of the things that Dustin and Stacy promised is that they are going to grab hold of the covenant promises of God and are going to proclaim the gospel to Samuel every opportunity they have. Because that's how we raise our children. We've, God promises to be our God and the God of our children. And because of that, we proclaim the gospel to them. We pray for each other that we can do that in, in our callings everywhere that we are. Being able to share the gospel with others is something that all Christians are called to do. And you can invite your neighbors to church, and that's great. Invite your neighbors to church. And the Lord uses the preaching of His Word for the conversion of the unbeliever. But, humanly speaking, the most powerful testimony that you have is yours. Because your neighbor knows you, and he's observed you, and it, it, you have a relationship with, with them. So we should pray that in our vocations, God is, will embolden us to proclaim the gospel. Now, I don't usually do this in the middle of a sermon, but today I want to suggest a couple of books and all the resources that may help you in your praying. Taking Hold of God, Reformed and Puritan Perspectives on Prayer by, uh, by Joel Beakey and Brian Nyerfort. I think that's how you say his Dutch last name. It's a great collection of, of Puritan theology and practice on prayer. I encourage you to read that. A book that's not part of our theological tradition, but I found very helpful on prayer is Power Through Prayer by E.M. Bounds. I don't know why I'm showing this one, because this is no longer the cover, so it's not like you can, uh, but it feels good to really hold the book in front of you. You can learn from, uh, from Pastor Bounds, even, even though he's a Methodist. Uh, I forgot to grab the third one we have in our library. It's called The Lord's Prayer by Thomas Watson. It's a, comment, it's a commentary on the Shorter Catechism, the section on prayer. He goes to the theology of prayer, but also the practice of prayer. It's one volume of three. Uh, the three-volume set's called the, uh, 
body of practical divinity. And if you never read, read a Puritan before, Thomas Watson is the one to begin with. He, he or Jeremiah Burroughs, but I will go with Watson. And I think that's a great book to learn about prayer. A book, about, a book not about prayer, but of prayers. And you might say, wow, I thought we were Protestants. I thought we didn't read prayers. We read the Bible. The Bible, we read the book of Psalms. That's a book of prayers. So it's okay to read prayers, to, to familiarize yourself, and to, to glean from what the church has said for you. So the Valley of Vision, a Puritan collection of prayers and devotion edited by Arthur Bennett. It's, it's a, a great encouragement. If you're not used to praying, this is a good book to model prayers after. Or if you don't know how to pray about something, this is a good book to use to give you worries to do that. To that. Um, other resources. A prayer journal. Prayer list. It can be an actual paper journal or a prayer app like uh, Prayer Mate. Uh, what I do, I... I, I I keep the prayer lists that we publish on Wednesday night. There's a great list for you to use to pray as well. I keep the paper copy of it. I have a stack probably this thick in my study. And I periodically go over them to, to pray for things that I've forgotten to pray, but also to see the great responses that we've gotten through the years to those prayer requests that are submitted there. The Westminster Shorter Catechism is a great resource to learn more about prayer in questions 96 to 107. And then the larger catechism, if you're really brave, now it's a really good resource, questions 178 to 196. Another way to grow in your prayers is just by praying, paying close attention to the prayers that are said on Sunday services and also on Wednesday evening service, which you should be here for. Having said all that, you don't, read, you don't have to read any of these books we don't have to re use any of these resources to pray. You can just pray. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, God, God's throne room is open to you. It's not like Esther. Remember how Esther was afraid of coming before Ahasuerus? Because she said, you know, if, if the king hasn't invited me in and I show up, you know, great chances that I'm just going to die. No, our Father in heaven is always ready to receive you. You have a permanent invitation to come before him in prayer. And I want to finish this morning by looking at a couple of model prayers as we're trying to anchor our praying into, in a biblical model. And the first one is in your bulletin is our responsive reading, but if you want to turn your Bibles, it's Matthew chapter 6, verses um, 8 through 13. This is the model that given to us by Jesus, commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I'm not going to fight the 2,000 years of history, uh, but this is not a prayer that Jesus prayed. It's a prayer that He taught us to pray, so it should be maybe better called the Disciples' Prayer more than uh, the Lord's Prayer. But if you look there at Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 8, The disciples want to learn how to pray, and the Lord teaches them by saying, Therefore, verse 8, Do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from 
the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. He starts, Our Father, in verse 9, the first half of verse 9. Now, though it is valid to pray, to, 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 to say prayers to the Son and to the Spirit, we should try to conform to what Jesus says and pray to the Father. Our prayers should generally be addressed to our Father who is in heaven. Each person of the Trinity has a role in prayer. And it's good for us to understand what those roles, uh, roles are. The prayers are directed to the Father because of whom Jesus is and because of what He's done for us. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. And the prayers are offered to the Father through Jesus because, uh, because of Jesus through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a channel. He's the conduit that brings our prayers before the Lord. And as Jesus continues to teach us how to pray, He says that our prayer should include adoration. In verse 9 again says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Praised be your name. Sanctified be your name. Set apart be your name. He's bringing praises to our Lord. So we praise God for whom, for, for whom He is, not just for what He's done for us. We, don't, we just don't thank Him for healing our boo-boos, or for providing for us, or for saving us. Those are things that we should do, but we praise Him just for whom He is. For He is God. And the Psalms give us great examples of doing that. And as Jesus continues to teach us, He tells us that in our prayers, we align our will with God's and our plans with Him. Uh, our prayers really are not designed to change God. Our prayers are designed really to change us and to bring our wills in alignment with God's and our purposes in alignment with, in alignment with God, oh, God's purposes. Look at verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know about you, but every time I read this passage, the only thing I hear is Len Pine's voice singing uh, uh, this passage, which is a beautiful rendition of it anyway. If you don't know who Len Pine is, then maybe you'll meet him someday. Our Lord continues to teach us, and He says that in our prayers, we completely depend on God. That's what we're doing. We're throwing ourselves at God. Look at verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. We recognize God without you, we can't even live through today. So give us this day our daily bread. All things come from God. And then in verse 12, Jesus teaches us that our prayers also include confession of our sins. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's no forgiveness without confession. So forgiveness implies confession. And that's part of what we pray. We pray the Lord to forgive our sins. And then he finishes by teaching us that we rely totally in God for our spiritual growth and life and acknowledge His absolute sovereignty over all things, both spiritual and material, when we pray. Look at verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So we have a, a quick model of prayer that's very easy to use. <clears throat> I don't think the primary purpose of this was for us to say these very words, but to give us categories. Though it's not wrong to say these words, but to give us categories for what to pray. And then Paul says, praying always, well, here's a model in which you can use to pray always. The catechisms, both the larger and the shorter catechisms, are a commentary on this prayer. And they really look into it and help us understand it better. 
The second model and last model I want us to look is the actual Lord's Prayer. The actual prayer that our Lord prayed in John 17. So if you don't mind, turn to John 17 as we come to a close. It always amazes me that the Lord Jesus Christ prayed for you and for me. And here is the evidence of that. It, it, it actually says here that Jesus Christ, on the night before he was crucified, when all kinds of things are going through his mind, when he knows he's going to be separated from his Father in just a few hours, when he knows that the eternal weight of God's wrath is going to be poured upon him, he prays for Tito Lero, for, for Adam Newton, for Katie Hoy, for Tim Vanderhoff, for Scott Hollander. That's what was in his mind. Even before, even as he's approaching that gruesome death and suffering on the cross and separation from his father. This prayer is an example of, of form, not so much content, but form that we can use in our prayers. Notice in verses 1 through 5, Jesus prays for himself. It says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given to me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus prays for himself, and we should pray for ourselves as well. We need, to, we need God's transforming work in us. So we pray for that. We pray that the Lord would work in our hearts. We know our hearts better than anybody else. So we pray that the Lord would work in our hearts. But I want you to notice that was the, it's the shortest portion of this prayer. is a prayer for Himself. And then He moves, and the other two portions are much larger than the prayer for Himself. In verses 6-19, through 19, Jesus prays for His disciples, His apostles that were around Him at that time. Look at verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And he goes on praying for them. The disciples, those that are around them, him right there, those that had had fellowship for those three years. And he goes on praying for them through verse 19. These were the closest people to him. These would be our family and people that we are directly involved with in regular living. And we are to pray for them as well. And that is the largest portion of the prayer. Our most immediate sphere of influence. The people that we know best. The people that we know the details of our lives. We can pray for them. The people whom we know their needs. Their wants. Uh, their struggles. And that's the bulk of the prayer of Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus prays for those who are going to be saved through the testimony of the disciples. Look at verses 20 and following. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who is that? It's you. It's me. 
that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. These are the more distant uh, group, more than the previous groups. These are the different spheres of influence that we are in. These are uh, the, the, the people that we don't know but hear about. These are situations that are far from us. And we pray for them as well. We don't neglect them. But I want you to notice that Jesus spent the bulk of his prayer praying for those closest to, to him. And that's the idea of proximity. That our neighbor is defined, and to love our neighbors, and one of the reasons we love them is by praying for them, our neighbor is defined by proximity and affinity. Those that we have direct contact with. So if you're praying for starving children in Africa, but not praying for the person sitting next to you in the pew, you're not really following what God in Jesus Christ has revealed to you that you should do in your prayers. The longest chapter in John Calvin's Institute of the Christian Religion, one of the best books of theology ever written. Very devotional. I encourage you to read it. But the longest chapter is chapter 20. And the title of the chapter is this, Of Prayer, a Perpetual Exercise of Faith. And that's really what it is. Here we have one of the greatest thinkers uh, I had written down Christian thinkers and then cross it out because I think he's just one of the greatest thinkers, period, to have ever existed. And he spends more time on the subject of prayer than in any other subject in the Institutes. He did that because he knew the importance and centrality of prayer for the life of the Christian. And as we close the sermon this morning, let me leave you with three quotes from John Calvin from that chapter. In one place, in, John, in chapter 20 of the Institutes, he says, To know God as the master and bestower of all good things, and not to go to Him and ask of Him, this would be of as little profit as for a man to neglect a treasure buried and hidden in the earth after it had been pointed out to him. So somebody comes to you and says, Levi, in your backyard, just 10 feet from your kitchen door, or your back door, whatever the back door is, there is a treasure worth $10 billion. And Levi said, oh, okay. And then he goes and borrows money from the bank to do whatever. That's the same thing as not praying to the God that we have. Another place in the same chapter, Calvin says, as children unburden their troubles to their parents, we go to God with our prayers. And that only works, that statement only works if we as parents are being godly examples of Jesus Christ to our children. And the third quote is this, prayer is not so much for His, that is God's own sake as for ours, so that our hearts may be fired with a zealous and burning desire ever to seek, love, and serve Him. And you want to be on fire for the Lord? Pray. Uh, um, I think it was John Stott in his book, The Cross of Christ, that says, if you want to catch on fire, be, in, in, if you catch fire in the Christian life, get close to the cross. Because that's the blazing fire of God's will. Get close to the cross through prayer. Now, the whole armor of God will not fit us if it's not lubricated and kept together by prayer. And Satan will not prevail against a praying man or a praying woman. Let us pray together.
Father, thank you that you are a God who answers prayers. Thank you for the direction that you've given to us in your Bible. Thank you for all the details you've given us. Help us to believe in you to the point that we pray to you. For asking Jesus' name, amen.